Good afternoon, everyone. Um, today's topic for the discipleship hour is sin. And one thing the secular world doesn't agree on today is that the sin actually does not exist. And some of you, or most of you, actually going to do evangelism. If you tell them that you are a sinner, they're quickly offended. Probably they agree on many other things that you share, but you say you have sin, are you a sinner, then that's it. They probably are not going to listen to you anymore. But one of the differences many people come up with is, I'm a good person, I'm a better person. And in one of the two sermons in last week, we heard from Pastor Bob also, um, they're like, it works for you, that's good. I'm happy it is working for you. Rather than really thinking about it or making, just thinking that if they are, is sin real or do they actually sin or anything? And many of them don't anticipate or expect a bad thing happening to them. And because of that basis, if you talk about you are sinner and you probably are most definitely are going to go to hell, are going to be in eternal condemnation, they're not going to accept it. Even though somebody is much older, they think they can live forever and they don't have to deal with the consequences. This is one of the things many people don't want to think about sin. Um, my son was born exactly a month ago on November 11th in um, um, New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital. On the same floor, the other side of the, uh, the hallway is an ICU where most of the world people are, are treated. And when I just think about it, it's actually a cycle of life. There's someone who is on the one side of the hallway, you're bringing a new life outside of mother's womb. On the other side of the hallway, many people are dying. And as ironic as it is, people don't want to think that they probably are going to pass away soon. And, and one of the reasons for people passing away is the original sin that we talked about today. We talked about last week in Sunday sermon also. And three days ago, no, four days ago, my grandfather passed away. Um, my mother's father passed away, and 17 years prior to that, my mother's mother passed away. The difference between these two is, my mother's mother, who is my grandmother, passed away in 2005, was saved. Two years before her death, he's saved, he's following, she's, she was following the Lord, and I'm pretty sure she's going to be in heaven. But my mother's father, and it is very painful for me to talk about it, five minutes before his death, he knew he was dying. He kept praying and talking about the idols he used to worship. Please save me, please save me, please save me. And I can only like, think in pain for him how, what, a, what, a pain, what a wasteful like, expressions he had before death. He kept holding his hands and asking people to help him, but he was not ready to seek God, or not, not at any point of life. Um, he was willing to admit Christ. My mother has two brothers. Um, 
one brother is saved and one brother is not apparently the the one who is not saved is the one who is looking after my grandfather and his reaction to his death was i cannot take him to hospital because it costs a lot of money and when i think of all this within in my own family the reason for all this behavior of non believing people is basically deeply embedded sin in their heart or in their actions in everywhere now the old testament actually uses about eight words to describe sin and each word has a different uh, describes a different form of sin for example one is rebelling another one is probably contrary to the norm or somewhat like going astray so these are all forms of sins and each word describes one form of sin a new testament has about 12 words and for describing sin and most follow this typical pattern and the sin description is mostly like this there's a clear standard that is not followed and there's a positive rebellion and and there's a evil that might assume variety of forms and and all these uh, descriptions of sins and words that are in the new testament man's responsibility is actually definite and it's something something that is understood like in this whole aspect of sin so th- two words um i i want to describe in in um, in that describe the word sin in the old testament one is called chata i'm not sure how to pronounce it's it's uh, basically means missing the mark so in exodus chapter 20 verse 20 it says moses said to the people do not fear for god has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin that you may not sin that you may not miss the mark that's how sin is defined and there is another word which is called ra which is basically means wicked and the context i'm going to read the words for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil when you eat of it when you it's basically this is a wicked act that adam and eve were did that actually meant to uh, cause them to sin now sin is also is just not um, not doing what is supposed to be done if you are not doing what you are supposed to do you are actually doing what is not supposed to be done so there is a it's not just omission of um it's it's a positive emphasis on commission of wrong rather than omission of correct things so when when i when we look at when we take a study of whole the uh, whole bible the sin can be described in these several words missing the mark a badness or a bad nature a rebellion iniquity going astray wickedness wandering crime lawlessness transgression ignorance and falling away and there are several words we can use so when you put all, when we put all of them this together um I, i forgot the book name we are studying 
um, Grudem, sorry. <laughs> the the Grudem uh, def defines sin in this way. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, in attitude, or in nature. Now, what should be our attitude? Can someone answer me? What should be our attitude? A positive attitude that doesn't ascribe to sin. What should be our attitude? Obedience. Yeah, obedience that doesn't amount to sin. Is there one Bible verse that we can actually say that, that should describe our attitude that doesn't amount to sin? So, <laughs> um, so sin is uh, let me define the sin definition sin is any failure to confirm to the moral law of God in act and attitude or nature so what should be the attitude our attitude towards God Attitude towards God. Yeah, what should be oh. our attitude towards God? Well, it depends if you're a sinner or if you're righteous. Let's say, as a Christian, what should be our attitude? As a sinner. As a Christian. As a Christian. Well, I'll put in the words of Billy Sunday. He said, today... People are treating sin like a powder puff when they should be treating it like a rattlesnake. So if you're asking what should be our attitude toward God, the same attitude that he has toward sin. Mm. Yes. Because if we have his spirit, then we're going to think alike. Mm. That's an excellent answer. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Tony, do you want to say something? Yeah. Is it on? Yes. It's on now. Our attitude should be um, a willingness to conform to his commands. Uh, we should be willing to do this. Mm. We should be happy to do so. And recognizing that he is he's God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So... It's a, um, I know there are many answers, and probably this is a very subjective thing, and there could be different answers. But I would refer ourselves to Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 30, which many of you probably by, have it by heart. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if our, if our action, if our attitude is anything not this, that does not reflect this, probably we're sinning. In, in, in our actions, it's easy to find whether what we're doing is sin or not. Um, even a non-believer, even someone who does not have any idea of Bible, if you go outside and do something, they can easily tell it's wrong or right, just because of the world we are living in. But when you think about the attitude, many people are doing good things who doesn't have any idea of Christ. But how do we know their heart is not sinful? Because they're not actually worshipping the Lord. or They're not giving themselves to 
Lord our God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all our their strength. And unfortunately, in Christendom, including uh, me and many of the teachers, um, many who tell their preachers or who have, it's it's very difficult to 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 love the Lord with all our um, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a big big struggle that I'm going in uh, along with my wife and in my family nowadays is with having a newborn and a 16-month-old, how can we attend church with peacefully? Or how can we maintain our quiet times? Or how can we even attend Bible studies? It's just too hard for us to figure out. Our attention is divided. And this is not to say this is sinful. This is a good thing. It is a God's blessing. But at the same time, in, in the way that I treat my wife, the way I look at my children, the way I look at my job, and the, the same way I look at how I attend church, is it, uh, is it, is it reflecting my love towards God if, in a way that my complete devotion is towards God? Or is there somewhere my attitude is sinful? And that's how we need to, I'm um, defining the sin here. So Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm pretty sure, including Pastor Paul who is sitting here, um, Christ died even before he was born. <laughs> and the word of God is describing in a way that he died for us, we are still sinners. I, um, and most of you probably know answer why he would say, but we are born with a sinful nature. Basically, that's why Christ has already died for us even before there, even before we are here on earth. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of the mankind. So, we talked about acting in sin and attitude of attitude and we also see by nature the word of God describes that we are all sinful people and we have sin embedded in us and what we are going to see is now we are just going to just expand or expand on this concept in act in attitude or in nature that's where we are going now where does this sin come from all of us know as Christians whether outside people agree or not we say God is the creator. It's God only knows the how this world came about or how each and I, you and I exist. And he's a sovereign Lord who makes things work and everything works for his good. Now, did God create sin? Or is he the reason for sin's existence? Can someone answer? <laughs> did God create sin? Uh, Eric, uh, Frank, yes. I'm saying, we know that he is the creator. God, the Lord, is the creator. But is he also the one who created sin? So uh, I believe it's Ecclesiastes says that uh, God created man upright, but he sought out many devices. So sin comes about from us when we turn our face away from God. Therefore, it's fully our responsibility. He doesn't. Uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith that God has no fellowship or is not neither the author of sin, 
but rather he gives us up to our depraved minds when we insist upon it. So when you say us, who is the us? Us? Yes. It's you, like humankind. man. Yeah, it's humankind? man. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. So, is, does anyone have any answer? Is, is, okay, Tony. I think what my, my brother just said there is, um, is correct. I just want to maybe add a little bit more. Sin is, um, you know, saying no to God. Um, did he create it? No, he permitted it. And uh, it's true, sin is the act of the man in that God has commanded him. And then he says, no. Yeah. So both of them said, us are the act of man. Now let me get another answer from you. Did sin exist before man? Can you answer, Marcia? Because, because, because we see um, the devil yes. sinning against God before. Yes. Yes. So, I know all of your answers are correct, but let me just go through a few words, which solidly, a few verses, which solidly affirms it's not God. God has nothing to do with sin. And I will expound on it later. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, the rock... His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright he is. And in book of Job, chapter 34, verse 10, our friend Elihu of Job says, Therefore hear me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. And even in the New Testament, our authors confirm the same thing. Um, there's so many verses, I'm just picking up a few verses. James chapter 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And often as Christian, Christians, um, we, if you are going through bad time, it's easy for us to see, why God, why are you making, it, making me go through it? And it, it probably, in God's divine sovereignty and providence, he's allowing us to go through it, but he's not the author of it. He's not causing you to go uh, do sin or go through this trouble. One popular opinion, not, uh, not in Christendom, but outside Christianity, is something called dualism. How many of you watched the um, movie, this animated movie, Kung Fu Panda? You know, as a teenager, I was, I was very much interested in watching that movie, Kung Fu Panda. And when I watched the part two, there, I, I don't know if the part three came out. Part two, I was astounded to see this actually goes against my Christian beliefs. There's, a, there's something called yin-yang. There's a Chinese belief. Yin is for good and yang is for bad. So in the whole world, there Two exist, good and bad, and whichever you choose, either good goes up or bad goes up, and you ultimately become a good and bad person. And it, it almost portrays the good has equal standing with bad. And that is not the case. And but since God did not create this good and bad, uh, sorry, God did not create sin, um, or, or he is not making people sin, and there is no other powerful 
being or powerful creature or uh, a concept uh, like a bad concept as in like God. Um, how did sin come? So God basically ordained or allowed uh, sin to come into this world. How? By voluntary choi- choices of the, of the moral creatures. And who are the moral creatures? Uh, let's say human beings, yeah. and who else is a moral creature other than uh, Adam and Eve, other than human beings? The angels. Angels. So the sin did come into the world by voluntary decisions and voluntary choices. Um, now, when did when sin did come into this world? Let's. Uh, I would. The Bible doesn't talk about too much about angels sinning. Uh, other than we know the fact about Satan falling down, when when the sin did come into this world through our uh, the first father, our forefather Adam, what all happened? There, there are three things that got redefined by the act of sinning or through the process of sinning. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, two things. What is true? Adam and Eve knew what is true was what God told them was true. And till the, 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 the original sin happened, they didn't, uh, they, all that they know to be true is whatever God tell them, told them is true. Now, that thing has been challenged and that has changed. Um, can anyone, uh, probably my question is not uh, uh, like very descriptive, but can anyone tell me, uh, like, w- the question, what is true, has changed uh, before and after the fall, or through the process of fall? What is true? We know what is true for Adam and Eve before um, the fall. What is true, whatever God, whatever God has told them to be true, is true. And today, when we look at, for us, when we say what is true, what is true is the word of God is true. That's ultimate truth. Um, if you go outside the world, for them the truth is subjective. For you there's a different truth exists. For me different truth exists. Pastor Bob last week talked about um, creation of male and female. The, the, the whole thing is confused so much. A man can be a woman. A woman can be a man. And everything is up and down. But now, they, what, did the, what did the Adam and Eve doubt on? They basically doubted God's goodness and what God taught them, and they act, they they ate the fruit, seeing if they would die. Is it true that I would die if I ate this fruit? They wanted to test God. They just didn't want to take God at His face value. They wanted to test: Is it true? The and the second thing is, what is right? They know it's not right. Uh, probably it's the same question, same thing, truth. And so you can differentiate between truth and right. It's truth is a concept and right is acting. What is right for them to do? It's not right for them to do. Uh, it's not morally right, from to, right for them to eat that fruit. But then they did. And then what happened? They suddenly became, who am I? They have to ask themselves, who am I? So far they have been God's most, um, 
um, not uh, like special creation. But then suddenly they became, their, their, their own definition became their sinners by nature. Now, so the, these questions have changed through the process of fall. Um, now, I, I'm not ex, ex, going on on uh, the, what, the fall process because we described, Pastor Bob described it last week and all of us know what is this original sin and fall. But this original sin and fall, is hist- this historical narrative has been affirmed by New Testament teachers, um, New Testament authors. In uh, Romans chapter 5 and 12, therefore just as sin came into this world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, all men because all sinned. So this verse says the sin came through the whole world through one man. The fall, the original sin that happened, that's the cause for this sin. And things have changed. Now, if you, this sin has come into this world, and how can we, there are different kinds of sins. Um, Grutem defines sins as two types. One is inherited sin, one is personal sin. And for the purpose of this lesson, from other sources that I read, I'm going to uh, differentiate between, I'm going to make inherited sin into two. Inherited sin and imputed sin. Um, Out of curiosity, can someone give me a difference between inheritance and inherited sin and imputed sin? Or inheritance and impudence? Um, I I don't know if it's correct, but... um, Inherited sin would be um, the proclivity to sin that you take on from your ancestors, like specifically your fathers and your grandfathers. And then imputed sin is the sinful nature that we take from Adam the same way we have imputed righteousness from Christ. So it's a sin that we take responsibility for, even though it's not our own. You hit the bullseye. Thank you. Um, so, this is majorly described by one passage I'm going to read uh, about inherited sin, or it can also describe as um, um, imputed sin. Both come from basically Adam. Um, inheritance, inherited sin comes from Adam to his children, and his children to till our father and to us. Imputed is very directly affected from Adam. So, let's read Romans chapter 5 where, uh, from verse 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass that reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous now the law came in came in to increase the trespass but where sin increased grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through jesus christ our lord this is a passage from romans that i struggled so much with as a growing christian i still don't think i understand well it's very confusing and for long in my christian walk after i became a believer i i showed a resistance to read old testament scriptures i would go on and on and on reading new testament but not old testament only after i came to us i started uh, maybe 6 7 years ago started reading old testament and suddenly light bulb went on i can actually understand the text like this if you look in the light of old testament what all happened in the past now the the first the first part of this passage talks about um there's a legal guilt that is on all of us and it says we all sinned even though we did not exist and we all know that sin was not defined till the law was given but there's a gap between adam and the law was given and there's still sinners because sin was not defined and how, how do we know that they actually sin there's no sin yeah yeah you can tell if you have some thoughts yes um i thought it would be that it's as paul says in romans that it's just it's still justification by faith so we're still the, and then he says that anything that's not done from faith is sin and that our conscience bears witness um so prior to the law being given our their conscience still bared witness to the things of god mm. and they were justified by faith apart from the law mm. yeah that's good i'm not going as far as actually you 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 even said you you went ahead of me <laughs> but all i'm saying is you know, we know that people died between adam and moses and there by they have an imputed Uh, are inherited and imputed sin of Adam. That's why they're, they're dead. Now, um, Romans, the, 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 the Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 8, which we read earlier. Um, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. and earlier we discussed we are counted guilty there's a legal guilt on us because of adam and adam represented us in the in the, in the fall that's why we're still counted and we have a imputed sin from adam and then there's a nature also now i differentiate between imputed and inherited sin um, because inherited sin we can describe as our sinful nature imputed sin is the legal guilt that we carry because we are represented by adam 
Now our nature is guilt, our guilt and tendency into which we are born. That describes our inherited sin. Um, so everything I said is a part. How, may, how many of you ever thought in your lifetime, it, is it fair to have sin imputed from Adam to us? Or sin, we inheriting sin, sinful nature from our parents? Is it fair? Like, is it just? Yes. Yes. Righteousness to us. So that's a fair trade, if you ask me. Yes. I mean, that's uh, that's the main reason that I'm going to talk about. But is does anyone have? Uh, let me ask the question different way. Do at any point in your life did you think it is unfair that I'm born with sinful nature? It is unfair that Adam's sin is imputed to me. I did, and that was sin. <laughs> I don't think it matters because whether it was imputed or natural, we still love our sins. Right now, we love our sins. There's no one walking around and saying, Oh, I wish I were saved like you were saved. <laughs> they think you are enough. So that's the part reason. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so <laughs> so the, the three reasons that Grudem gives for us uh, to to say why is it fair for us to sin. One thing is clear: what our uh, sister Marva told um, that the primary basis for our judgment, uh, the judgment before judgment throne, the primary basis of our judgment is going to be our, our personal actions. It doesn't mean whether we have imputed sin or inheritance sins. It's our personal actions that we do is going to be done. And the second thing that Grudem says is, if we were in Adam's shoes, if we were the probably, if Naveen is the first man that was created. Probably I would have sinned too, because the same free will that was given to me. But this implies so many ifs and buts. But the main reason is um, Kaltume, right? <laughs> Sister Kaltume pointed out is if it is unfair for Adam, then it is unfair for Christ to die for us also. Um, and probably some of these things we may never understand, but what God clearly tells us, and let us take that as a truth. Now, we are sinful by nature, and that nature comes from right for, from the birth. Let's see what our ancestor, our spiritual ancestor, uh, King David said. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 5. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have a sin. And then what is evil in your sight? So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Is this the last verse I'm going to read again? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Is it talking about David's mother's sin? Is it this verse? Is it talking about uh, our King David's mother's sin? Or what the sin it is talking about? In sin did my mother consume me? What's the, what sin is it? of sin because the seed of the man yes so many times I'm, I'm not sure how in western civilization it works or western society it works but back in India many Christians they look at this verse and say the, the reproductive acts of human beings actually is sin <laughs> like just the, looking at this verse one can quickly conclude in marriage, the consummation of marriage itself is a sin. That's what we think. But it is not. This act is, the, 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 the act of the sex act is basically God's given gift to men um, as a pleasure and as a um, prolonging the human civilization. And this is, but whether, whether, whether we agree it or not, we are in, in birth we are sin because we take sinful nature from both from Adam and for our parents. Um, and Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 that we already read. Um, Among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I think we talked enough about, uh, from the word taking, how the, the, we are sinful by nature, and we can all see. Um, so, I have, um, I mean, again, you, you all know that I have a 16-month-old daughter, Nissi, and no one needs to tell her what is wrong and what is right. Like, we have a newborn now, and Esther and I, my wife Esther and I, get frustrated every day how to not tell her not to do something, because the moment we tell her not to do, she does the same thing again and again and again and again. It goes on for 10 times both of us get tired of telling her not to do, but she doesn't get tired of doing the same thing we tell her not to do. And it's clear for us, like, we are by nature children of wrath. By nature, there is sin in us. She's not, she's not, like, by nature, going and eating food. If she puts one spoonful in her mouth, ten spoonfuls are on the floor, just throwing left and right. So, does our sinful nature mean that we cannot do any good? Or we're, we're very bad people? Like, we are by nature sinful. Does that mean that we cannot do any good? We can do good. But what does our sinful nature result in? What is the one thing that, uh, that, um, that describes us? If we can do some good, then why does it bother about our sinful nature? We're not counted righteous before God. Yes. So we can do good things in and of themselves, but God doesn't look at our good works as if it, if it, it's not pleasing to him. Yes. Until we're clothed with Christ, when we take on his righteousness, then God sees us in him and not ourselves. Yes, that's what I'm looking for answer. That we cannot please him no matter how many good works we do. Often, um, as I was growing up in Christ, uh, as a growing up in Christian, I look at others. 
They're so good people. They're very generous. Their character is something that I would aspire to become. But then they cannot please God in any way. Uh, we know the verse about how our righteous works are filthy rags before God. Now, this brings me to the concept of total depravity. I'm sure most of you heard total depravity. This was something we discussed even on the Reformation Sunday. Can someone define what or explain what total depravity is? Uh, to what I know, total depravity is that every faculty or, uh, yeah, every faculty of our nature is in some way touched by sin. So there's nothing, when we're prior to being regenerate, regenerate um, there's nothing that we can do that isn't some way stained by sin. Mm-hmm. And then if something is completely in sin, then we can devolve into utter depravity. Okay. And that is everything that we do is sin. Okay. Uh, Sister Marcia. Yeah, I just want to say that's why um, any good we can do in our natural self is to please us mm. and not God. Mm. You know, Marcia, you hit bullseye of not what I'm going to tell, but what I'm feeling. <laughs> Before, for the last one week, I'm struggling with my mind. Am I teaching before I, I want to be, like, applauded by you, or am I teaching because I want to worship God? <laughs> this is a prayer that I kept saying throughout the week. <laughs> so, in our nature and action, we totally lack sp- any spiritual good before God. Basically, that's, in, in, a, in a sentence, total depravity, both in our nature and action. And... Mind you, the nature, the action, it's all measured against God's holiness. Like, the, the standard is God's holiness. And J.C. Ryle has so much to say. Uh, I mean, I want to quote so many things in that book, but I'm not quoting here. But from the Word of God, I'm just going to take a few verses that talk about total depravity. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Titus chapter 1 verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. And, and the famous verse we all know, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I think there's no greater um, manifestation of it uh, in, than today's world, what we're seeing. Whatever I feel, that is what I am. If I feel, if I'm, uh, I'm a woman, or if I feel I'm so-and-so, that's what I become. I become that, I become this, and uh, this is all very deceitful, and this is all very sinful. So sin is completely us. Now, can non-believers... Please God? Absolutely no. Why? Flesh can't please I mean, the answer is right what we just discussed. All our actions, all our nature is sinful. So if we don't have Christ, we cannot please God. The only reason God can be pleased in us is because we wear Christ. 
And the, uh, Pastor Bob talked about uh, this in, in today's sermon. So, without that, we just can't please God. So, I'm not going to talk about um, uh, the, the, the saving grace and born again. Everything was talked by Pastor Bob today. And in the interest of time, I'm just going to stick to the sin. And we know Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, where does the faith more in, most instrumental in? Like, how does faith work in our life? Um, I'm not getting the right answer to right question to frame. So this verse says, "Faith without play, faith, it is impossible to please Him." Now, do you and I please God? Yes. And why is that? In faith, like, what about faith? Please him. Yeah. He has to give us the faith. Once he gives us the faith, then we can please him. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me tell. I think I'm not able to frame the question properly. The, the faith I'm talking about it. The faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> the faith in His sacrifice. The faith in the living gospel or the gospel that that we know of. And if unless until we put faith in Jesus Christ. Unless until we take his righteousness to us, unless until we agree on our intellectually, or like it has to be coming from God, unless until we impute his righteousness, we won't be able to please God. And you want to say something, Marcia? Yeah. So there's no way non-believers can please God. So basically that, that leads them where? where? Where does it lead non-believers to? By nature, they're sinful. By from Adam they're sinful, the, the imputed sin, and by actions they're sinful. Someone can come and say that they're not sinful, but we all know how sinful nature we have or we are born with. Now, um, that's where we're total depravity. Now, one most difficult question I'm going to ask, and whoever answers probably is a, is a scholar now. What about infants? What about infants? Infants, like my son who was just born one month ago. That's, yeah, infant. Like, is he sinful? Yeah. Well, well Psalm, I think it's Psalm 58. Mm-hmm. And speaks of your son. Mm. He told us that your son comes out of um, Esther's womb, a liar. Mm. <laughs> and, and he is sinful by nature, even, even though he doesn't have mental faculty and capability to sin, he's sinful. Mm-hmm. But the difficult question to ask is, what if infants die? <laughs> are they going to God? Are they going to rot in hell? Mm. Okay. And unfortunately, we don't have a direct or a clear answer. But word of God is clear on that. John chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when infants doesn't have capability to be born again because they don't have mental faculties and we don't know. But there are exceptions in the Word of God. Um, if we look at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 15, we know 
that when Mary came to Elizabeth, the one in Elizabeth's womb is mm-hmm. dancing with joy. Mm-hmm. The Lord, so he, already Jesus was his Lord mm-hmm. in the womb. Mm-hmm. And then we know Psalm 22, um, verse 10. Um, I did not write this verse, but um, we know David is claiming that um, that he knows that God is, uh, the, the, he has a Lord at that time itself. But there's one thing that we can clearly talk about. It's 2 Samuel hmm. chapter 12, verse 23. Um, when, when someone goes to him and asks, uh, uh, someone goes to King David and asks, um, you were fasting when your son, you were Ill, your son that is born of mm-hmm. illegal relationship with Bathsheba. Beth, uh, when he was sick, he's fasting. But as soon as he's dead, he's not fasting. And then his his response was, "Why why are you not fasting now? Now, he, but now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me." That's why um, we don't just look upon the acts of sin, but look upon what God has done before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So, the word of God is not clear, and I, I claim, not, <laughs> no, I don't know the answer, but there are special, specific instances in the word of God which shows, infants may be saved, but it's up to God, and I'm not claiming anything. But, there is a pattern in the Bible. We see when, when believers, children, when someone who is saved, when someone claims to be God, we see like in the case of Noah and his children, Rahab's family, Joshua's family, and all the household of a official, that uh, Roman official whose son Jesus healed, um, and then that Cornelius, and then the jailer's family, all of them were saved. The Word of God clearly talks about being saved. So, we don't know what it is, but the best thing we can do today is rise up our children and bring our families to Christ and leave the rest of it to God. Um, I'm going to quickly conclude, <laughs> running out of time. Um, so, in brief, five to ten minutes, um, I'm going to talk about personal sins. One cha- book of First John, cha- verse, um, chapter one, verse eight to ten. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. And you, you and I can say. Well, but by nature I'm sinful. Does that mean I'm just I keep on sinning? I, I don't. So it doesn't work like that. Our ability uh, does not limit our responsibility. Um, and and probably that's the reason Jesus has given us a way for us, you know, of salvation. Now there are few characteristics of uh, um, sinning. One is there's universality. All people sin, except infants who are not capable. All people sin. And two, their overtness. Sin is not just something that you do. It is also in our thought. 
it is also the sins of omission. When you know something needs to be done and you don't do it, it's a sin of omission. And that's also sin. And there is also classification in sin. Now, the way I can say there's a classification in sin is if you look at the book of John, chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And he's talking about Pilate. And then he's now talking about Caiaphas. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. There's actually a classification of which is greater, which is lower. Many times I remember telling people, sin is sin, whether it's small or big. But in the word of God, and in fact, our Lord himself talked about a greater sin. And in the Old Testament itself, there are different ranges of sins. Sins of ignorance, and some sins are defiant, like with high-handed we do. And they are like unpardonable sins, and there's a sin unto death. These are all um, described in the word of God, like different classifications. And there are some sins that we don't see, like coveting. Like I can covet someone's position, that's itself a sin. But if I steal it, I see it. So some sinful sins are seen, some sins are not seen. And there is a different consequences for each of them. Uh, but the major result of all this sin, sinful nature and sinful actions is we have loss of fellowship and loss of relationship with God. Um, now, before I conclude, I just want to do um, uh, some application questions. Do you think uh, this degree of sins has anything to do with us? How does it help us? I just talked about classification of sin. There's a greater sin and smaller sin. How does it help us just having this degree of sin? Um, personally, I think that if we have an, an idea of a classifications of sin, we know what to be sensitive to mm. prior to sin getting out of hand in our lives. So if we're overlooking things that we consider as little or of no effect, those things can then snowball until we find ourselves in uh, more heinous sins. Because there's no little sin and big sin. Mm-hmm. And that's how some people classify it. Well, I'm not as bad a sinner as that person Mm -hmm. because I want to do such and such. Mm -hmm. I don't commit adultery. Maybe I envy somebody. Maybe I covet. But having committed murder, I think sin is sin. Marva is correct that all sin, even the slightest sin, is enough to condemn us to hell. To say that all sin is equal is simply not true, and I'll tell you what I mean. So the Lord said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder and deserving of hellfire. So what is the point there? is that you don't actually have to commit the act of murder to be guilty of murder. You can hate someone so much that you could be guilty of hell itself. You could fantasize about killing them without ever killing them and and still be guilty in God's eyes. So in that sense, sin is equal. It begins in the heart. 
but I would much rather have you hate me than kill me. <laughs> and, and so in that sense, it's not equal. There is a, there is, there is a greater gravity. There is, you know, the thought versus the action. There is a gravity. There is, you know, in, in, the, in, in God's, yeah, if I steal a candy bar from the store, it's stealing. It's a sin in God's eyes. That's not the moral equivalence of fornication in, a, in an ongoing adulterous relationship. Both the gravity of both, the consequences of both, and I'm talking about just temporal consequences, are very much different. So, you know, I hear this often because I... This, this is something I hear often because in, in our current day, uh, homosexuality is a big deal, and a lot of people are, um, you know, within the church saying we shouldn't make such a big deal about homosexuality. It's just as bad as any other sin. Why do we, you know, focus on it? It's not just like every other sin. It is a perversion of nature itself. And while it is a, an extension of fornication, the social ramifications of it are are worse than than regular fornication. Fornication is bad too. It's done a lot of damage to society. It does damage to relationships. It does damage to everyone around you. But this legitimizing and you know celebration of homosexual relations. Is, is even more dangerous. And so we have to be careful. There are degrees of sin in this world. This is why when you kill someone, you could either get charged with murder in the first degree or manslaughter, depending on the motive, depending on the, the crime, depending on the nature. And, and, and ultimately, we have to see what are the consequences? What are the social consequences, the personal consequences, and how it affects people around you. That's my two cents. Wait, um, sorry. But you just said it too. I, I agree with Pastor, what Pastor Bob says, the degree of sin, but in the, what you said, we're reading that with Caiaphas and Pilate, you see there the degrees there that God was talking about because Pilate was the one who handed him over. Yes, yes. So he has the greatest sin. Yes. Yeah. Uh, job, you know, guys and I, we, we, speak, we talk politics a lot of time and you know, I bring prides into it and all sorts of things. But we're talking about a, a particular um, politician whom he says, well, I don't like him because he lies too much. But I'm telling him, but the other one supports abortion. So, I, so I'm asking him, which one would you prefer? That I lie on you or I kill you? So here, you know, one is worse than yeah. the other. This is the very same thing that Pastor Sabob is saying. Yeah. One, one is worse than the other. Any failure of that righteousness is sin. So that's where sin is all equal. But the degrees, I, you know, you brought up Judas Iscariot. And what was the, the nature of sin? Treachery. 
uh, in college on how to read Dante's Inferno. Has anybody ever read that, Dante's comedy? Yeah, and so, you know, it gives the seven rings of hell. And the lowest depth of hell are where all the traitors are, the treacherous. <laughs> so there's something, you know, there, there are degrees of the hurt and pain that sin can cause and the social and personal consequences. So just keep that in mind. But all sin, the slightest peccadillo sin, you know, what did R.C. Sprawl? you know, say, is, is an offense, is a cosmic offense. So we have to, we have to keep that in mind. And, um, as you deal, you're dealing with personal sin, right? And um, this is where I also have a, a thin line. The, the scripture, when we get, up, we get upset or we are frustrated and, um, because of circumstances, and it will appear that we are sinning because we are frustrated or we are dealing with something because I have that experience, something like that yesterday where I was um, a little displeased and frustrated. And I don't see myself as sinning in that sense because I am, um, you know, voicing my displeasure mm -hmm. with what was happening in the circumstances. My husband, however, um, see it as would say I sin in the in in that moment because of my frustration and uh, my displeasure, and I don't see that. And then I was thinking about it. He says your attitude, because because we are not we don't see ourselves wrong in what we're doing. But what is the attitude that you are expressing? And so there is a very thin line um, sometimes because the Bible tells you be angry and yeah. sin not. So you can be angry. But then if you allow that anger to lead you to sin by acts or the attitude. Because a lot of times we don't see our attitude as being simple in yes. the way we are expressing our frustration. Yeah. So, at the beginning, we... Thank you, Mar Marcia. I'm, I'm sorry for butting in at the last minute, but I'm listening in here. So, so, I just wanted to comment. I want to commend you for your humility and receptiveness to hearing your husband's uh, uh, exhortation. The problem with sin is that most of the time we don't see our sin as sinful. If we were aware, self-aware of our own sin, sometimes we are, and that's when we're in rebellion, when we're aware of our sin. But there's times we're not aware of our sin. We, we feel justified. We feel excused in our behavior. It's not until someone else comes along to tell us where we're wrong. That's where humility comes in, and that's where the, and, and the Holy Spirit to convict us. See, the worst thing that could happen is when you know what I said one time, one of my sermons, the most frightening thing in life is when God takes his hand off your life, when he gives you over. Because mm -hmm. there's no more conviction of sin, there's a hardening of the heart. No matter what people tell you about how wrong you are, you just don't care. You've reached a point, you've crossed a line where there's no more sensitivity to sin. Frank, you can share, and I'll come to it after that. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say on the, on the topic before <clears throat> about degrees of sin, I do think that there are degrees of sin, but um, 
I think that we also need to take the stance of that's not permission to yes. engage in different varying levels of sin. Yeah. All sin is an offense to God and sin should <clears throat> sin should grieve us. <clears throat> but to Sister Marva's point, excuse me. <clears throat> um it's not an excuse to engage in sin to say I'm no worse. I'm I'm not worse than somebody else. Um and I think that you touched on it on the lesson that if we the more that we understand God's holiness and separateness, the more we see our sin as sinful and even the slightest acts um, of sin should grieve us and lead us to repentance. I mean, the reason I'm even talking about the degrees of sins is exactly the points that Pastor Bob and Frank shared. One thing is we need to put effort in our own lives where we can grow in our personal holiness. Uh, and and we also should know when, when our spouses are in we sin, when our children sin, which one to overlook, which one not to overlook. Um, and then and also definitely church discipline. And then we all know the civil government, there are no laws. Our police are not coming to arrest you or look over for every sin. There are special sins. There are some, some sins for what civil government is involved so there are degrees of sins, and they are useful in our own. I would say the most thing I would take from this is in my growth in personal holiness. Um, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll conclude uh, right here with just one verse. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, to sin is going downhill. God wants us, all of us um, to progress upward in a path of ever-increasing righteousness in life. And if we give way to small sin, it can become a big sin, and then not only you, but your family and the people around you get affected. And we, we will be ultimately slaves of sin. So instead of going downhill, the recognition of sin helps us um, to, to be more righteous and to be in the will of God. Um, I think that's all. Thank you. Any more questions? I <laughs> Almighty, eternal God, we thank Thee, our Father, that Your grace, Your love, and thy well-beloved Son was greater than even the worst of our sins. We thank you that you so loved us that you gave thy well-beloved Son to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We thank thee, our Father. We're all lawbreakers and we'd all be under the curse of the law. 
But thy well-beloved Son, our Lord Jesus, redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth upon a tree. When we think of all the sins, all the ordinances against us were nailed to his cross, how should we ever take sin lightly? And so, our Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Brother Naveen. And thank you for those two little precious little ones you gave to him and Esther. And may your grace, your protective grace be upon them, be upon our little Ian, uh, the little boy that had a difficult time, but now he's growing. And so we just thank you that you give to our our people, children to raise in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So again, thank you for this day. It's been a wonderful day of the ministry of the word, ministry of worship. To God be the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.